Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Welcome to Gateway Online today. It is great to be with you. I know that I speak for all of our campus pastors and we are missing you all uh, in our, uh, our locations and we're looking forward to coming back uh, next week. But it's a huge blessing to be able to join with Gateway Online today. And uh, it is my blessing to be able to share it with you. Well, it has been a crazy week, hasn't it? I've experienced a range of emotions this week as we've uh, gone through all of the, uh, the, the, the lockdown here in southeast Queensland. Uh, maybe you're even still in it. If you're joining us from different parts of Australia or around the world, my heart goes out to you. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but it's been such a, a challenging week from a number of different perspective, perspectives. And you know, I've had a, a range of emotions from, from excitement and anticipation as we got into KTO and it turned into anger and frustration as our plans didn't work the way that we wanted them to make work. Well, my joy and elation uh, became sadness and disappointed. And, and uh, Jason mentioned uh, Charlie's passing, and I know there's been many uh, of our families in our church who've been impacted by family loss this week. But even with this, uh, the, the range of emotions and lockdown now being finished and having to wear masks and, and all that kind of stuff here in southeast Queensland, there's still a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of disappointment and, and even hopelessness in the air. You know, just when it was beginning to feel that we're in this post-COVID world, we've been reminded that there's still a little bit lo- longer to go until we are back to normal. And so it can, be, it can actually be really easy to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. When our businesses struggle, when our, our, our marriage becomes strained, when our plans are disrupted, when our finances are threatened, sometimes we can just feel a growing sense of helplessness and, and even hopelessness. Now, I wonder if you've experienced any of that in this past week or so. You know, that, that helplessness, that hopelessness that, that tempts you to just to throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm done. Oh, I quit. And whether that's your job or whether that's your, your marriage, whether that's your friendships or your family. I don't know if you've experienced some of that this week, the uncertainty and the hopelessness that sometimes our circumstances bring along. Well, a few weeks ago, I I came across this story in the book of Jeremiah, and I believe that God wants to speak to us through this story today. That God wants us to, to overcome our hopelessness by trusting in His faithfulness today. This story happens in the most hopeless of situations yet it points us to God's incredible goodness. And I believe that God wants to remind us today that His faithfulness overcomes our hopelessness, overcomes our uncertainty and our situations. And we're gonna jump straight into it this morning. So I'd encourage you, if you're wherever you're watching, to uh, to open your Bibles with me. We're gonna read from Jeremiah chapter 32 today. We're gonna stay in this chapter all, uh, all day. And so I encourage you to open up your Bibles and join in. Well, Jeremiah was a prophet. Uh, He was a prophet who lived in possibly the most turbulent time in the history of God's people. You know, the, the nation of Israel had split into two, and the northern kingdom, Israel, had already been taken out by the nation of Assyria. 
The capital, Samaria, had been uh, burnt to the ground and the people had been dragged off to captivity. Yet Jerusalem, the, the capital of Judah, had managed to survive. Yet in Jeremiah's time, the new army arose, a new empire grew, the Babylonians, and they started to gobble up nation after nation. Most of their, uh, and, and, and in that time, God's people had rebelled against him. Most of Judah's rulers and kings had turned their backs on God. Now, they'd put their trust in false gods and committed all kinds of evil acts. From early on in his ministry, Jeremiah prophesied and preached, imploring Judah's kings and their people to repent, to turn back to God, or to suffer God's judgment at the hands of the Babylonians. But throughout his ministry, his words often fell on deaf ears. And by the time we come to this story in chapter 32, the Babylonians had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. For 18 months, the Babylonians had locked down the city. They let no one in, no one out. They had a stranglehold over the city. They began to starve the people out. And with the corrupt and rebellious Zedekiah as king of Judah at the time, there was going to be no repentance, no return to God. And so the outcome was inevitable. It was merely a matter of time before the Babylonians would break through the walls, would slaughter many of the people in the city and drag the rest off to captivity. So in this moment of hopelessness, despair, helplessness, we come across this story in chapter 32. And this chapter of Jeremiah is quite incredible. We're not going to read it all in its entirety, but I want to encourage you, some point today, open your Bible and read through chapters 32 and 33. It will do you well. But we're going to pick up from verse 2. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. He's effectively in jail. Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will not, and he will capture it. Jeremiah had been prophesying all along that the nation of Judah would fall if it didn't repent. And now God's instrument of that judgment had arrived. The Babylonian army was literally knocking at the door. Judah had passed the point of no return. There was no more hope. It was the very definition of hopelessness. The end was inevitable and locked up in prison. With a city under siege, Jeremiah knew that it was merely a matter of time before God would give the city of Jerusalem into the Babylonians' hands. Yet in the midst of this, God asks Jeremiah to do something strange. God commands Jeremiah to go and buy a field. Listen to what it says. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, 
buy it for yourself. Now, we're not sure why Hanamel wanted to sell his field to Jeremiah, but we do know that it was a ridiculous proposition. Now, this field at Anathoth, it was only three miles outside the city of Jerusalem. But with Jeremiah locked down in prison and the, the army besieging the city, there was no way that Jeremiah could actually go and buy, look at the field. He had to buy it sight unseen. And with the inevitability of uh, being carried off to captivity, it wasn't like he was going to live or, or farm the field. He didn't have any, uh, any wife or kids to pass the, uh, the field onto. And probably right at that present time, the field was being trampled and any crops on it being burned by the Babylonian army. Any wise counsel would have said to Jeremiah, just walk away. This is a bad deal. You know, you might uh, be experiencing right now, if you live in southeast Queensland, how hot the property market is. But it's nothing like Judah in the 6th century BC. Just walk away, Jeremiah. Nothing good can come out of this. But Hanamel, he twists Jeremiah's arm. He says, it's your family duty, says Hanamel. See, property under the Jewish law had to stay in the wider family. It was the property, the land was so important to God's people that it had to stay in the family. It was passed on as an inheritance throughout the family. And if it were to be sold, it had to be sold to someone like Jeremiah, a cousin, a relative, somebody who was part of the family. And so it was almost like Jeremiah was being guilted in to purchasing this block of land by Hanamel. But it was a bad deal, a ridiculous proposal. And yet God had spoken. God had prepared Jeremiah. God had actually commanded Jeremiah to buy this field. And so Jeremiah obeyed. In the midst of his own hopelessness and helplessness, Jeremiah obeyed God's commands. Verse 8 says, Jeremiah says, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. 17 shekels of silver, it's not a lot of money. It might have been that this was all that Jeremiah had left. It was his last bit of coin. But 17 shekels was a whole lot more than what the field was actually worth. And yet the deal was done. The deeds were written and signed, the money changed hands, and the paperwork went into the ancient filing cabinet. Hanamel walked away with cash in his pocket, and Jeremiah was the proud owner of a worthless piece of land that he would never end up actually seeing. See, it wasn't a good deal, but Jeremiah chose the right thing. He decided to obey God's commands. In the midst of hopelessness, Jeremiah listened to God and obeyed his commands. And when we find ourselves in hopeless situations, obeying God's commands can be a, a challenging thing for us. See, in times of difficulty, in times of trial, our selfish human nature means that we can slip into survival mode. When hopelessness comes in, so does selfishness. Our, our view on the world can narrow and we begin to forget 
even neglect others. And instead, we prioritize getting our own needs met. But even in a time of trial, God's challenge is to obey His commands, to put others above yourselves, to to love your neighbor, to serve one another. That's why I love our Gateway Care Center. It's just watching it swing into action when we go into lockdown. All of Brisbane is saying, oh, not again. I have to run out and buy more toilet paper. And yet the care team rolls up their sleeves. They further ramp up their operation to, to love our community, to feed the hungry and to meet the needs of so many people. You know, the care team are an incredible example of obeying God's commands in times of difficulty. I want to encourage you right now, hit that applause button in the chat. Share out some love to our Gateway Care team across all of our campuses. But I want to ask you, as we've navigated this week together, what has God put on your heart? Or who has God put on your heart? Who are the people that He has called you? He's prompted you to reach out and to bless Is there some way that you can practically obey his commands to love others, even today? He might not be telling you to buy a field from your cousin, but he might be suggesting perhaps to pick up the phone call, pick up the phone and make a call, to make a meal for someone, to to say g'day and check in on your neighbors. In times of hopelessness, one way that we can trust God's faithfulness is to obey his commands. And even when he obeys God's commands, we see Jeremiah's faith wrestle with his own doubts. Have you ever bought something really significant and then almost immediately after doubted yourself? You buy something from the shops and once you get it home or you have it delivered, you unwrap it and then almost in the next thought you think, what have I done? Have you ever experienced that? Marketers actually have a term for this. They call it post-purchase cognitive dissonance. You purchase something and very shortly after you have these feelings of regret. And my, my, I, have, I have this all the time, but my most common experience of post-purchase cognitive dissonance is in buying TVs. There's numerous times in my married life when I've gone out and bought TVs for our family. Now, modern TVs, they... they they tend to cost a decent amount of money. And there are so many types of technology out there, it's really confusing. All these acronyms, 4K or 8K, OLED or QLED, UHD, HDR. And then you've got to figure about size, like how big, should I get a 50-inch or a 60-inch? Or Now there's almost 85 inches that are starting to become more affordable. And maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned here, but I reckon buying a TV is the man's job. I can sort of almost see through the camera all the wires kind of digging their, uh, their elbow into their husband's uh, side right at this point. But I don't want to overwhelm Lauren with all of these acronyms, all of these confusing options, all these different models. I'll just go out and buy one myself. And so invariably when I've gone out to get a TV, I haven't even asked Lauren's input. I actually went out and bought a TV once when she was on a holiday with a friend. And to tell you what, she had a big shock when she came home. But invariably, I have this post-purchase cognitive dissonance. I get the TV either at home from the shop or delivered. I unwrap it. I stick it into the room. I try and figure out where all the cables go. I eventually plug it all in, sit down to watch it, and I go, 
what have I done? I should have got the bigger model. Definitely would have fit. I have this post-purchase cognitive dissonance. And then eventually Lauren comes home. She opens the door and her jaw drops to the floor. She says, what'd you get a TV that big for? You know, she, uh, she said that multiple times. But right now she's probably sitting watching that TV, that big TV and seeing my big face. She's probably really appreciating it right now in her pajamas and with her coffee. <laughs> I'm sure you've experienced post-purchase cognitive dissonance. Have I done the right thing? Oh, was that the right step? And Jeremiah experiences something similar after buying this field. Straight after he puts the deeds of purchase into the, the clay jar for safekeeping, he prays a prayer where we see his faith wrestling with his doubts. Listen to what Jeremiah prays. He says, Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. You have performed signs and wonders in Israel and in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land you had sworn to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it. But they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do. So you brought all this disaster on them. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city? Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, you say to me, Buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Jeremiah's prayer ends incredibly abruptly. And biblical commentator Christopher Wright suggests that, he, that it ends with an unspoken why. Why have I bought this field? Why are you doing this, God? Jeremiah's prayer declares both God's mercy and his righteousness. He recalls the miracles that God has done for his people. He, he laments the sin and rebellion that has led to Israel experiencing the judgment of God. And Jeremiah declares the love and the faithfulness of God, acknowledging the disobedience and the evil of all of the people. But he ends with this question. The Babylonians have arrived. They're being used by God to bring consequences for all the sin. And yet you've asked me to buy this field. Why? Jeremiah asks, God, why are you doing? God, are you sure about this? Have I really done the right thing? The very moment when the guilty past has collided with an inescapable future, God asks Jeremiah to make a seemingly foolish investment. Yet in that moment of doubt, Jeremiah's solution is to pray through his doubt. As he spent time in prayer, he reminded himself of God's promises, of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness. See, one of the biggest questions in, in our times of difficulty and our hopelessness is, why? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve it? When life is being turned upside down, the enemy wants to distract you. He, he wants you to question yourself. He wants you to question God. 
But we would do well to learn from Jeremiah, to not let our doubt take us out, but instead to fix our eyes on God and bring those questions to Him. Fix our eyes on the one who can give us that hope, the one who is true and faithful to His promises. See, God is big enough for all of your questions. He wants to show you the right answers, the right path forward. And in times of trouble, in times of hopelessness, encourage you to pray through your doubts. Allow God to remind you of His goodness, to give you hope, to see you through. As Jeremiah prays through these doubts, the word of the Lord comes to him. And God changes his perspective. Yes, the Babylonians will still bring judgment against God's people because of their evil. God's people have turned their backs on him. They've aroused God's anger through their sacrifices to false idols. They've set up altars to worship other gods. They've even sacrificed their children. God abhors what has been going on. Their rebellion results in God's righteous judgment. However, God declares to Jeremiah that although judgment is at hand, grace and redemption are to come. There is hope for the future. Right now, Jeremiah can only see what is in front of him, but God shows him a completely different perspective. Listen to what God says in verse 36. He says, you are saying, you are saying, Jeremiah, you are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given in to the hands of the king of Babylon. But this, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. He goes on a little bit later. Once more, fields will be bought in this land of which you say it's a desolate waste without people or animals for it's been given into the hands of the Babylonians. But fields will be bought for silver and deeds will be signed, sealed and witnessed because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. You notice what God does here? You know, he actually uses, he causes Jeremiah to weigh his perspective. God helps Jeremiah to see that God sees beyond just what Jeremiah sees. He instructs Jeremiah to, to look beyond the hopeless of, hopelessness of the now and to fix his eyes on the hope that is coming. See, the people may be banished, but they will be brought back. They may have turned their backs on God, but they will one day return and be his people once more. And it's interesting, I find, how God quotes Jeremiah himself here in this passage. He says, Jeremiah, you say, you say that the city is being turned over, but listen to what I say. I'm gonna bring people back. Jeremiah, you say that this land is desolate without people or animals, but listen to what I say, says God. He says, I say that these fields will once again be bought and sold. People's fortunes will be restored. And there is a lesson for us in this. 
Now, when we are faced with difficult or seemingly hopeless, hopeless situations, the challenge for us is to weigh our perspective, to measure what we see against what God sees, to try and see things from His perspective rather than our own. I've been reflecting on this concept of weighing my perspective this week. And it's been fascinating how God changes your outlook when you try to see things from His point of view. Now on Tuesday, I was with our KTO leaders when we heard news of the the lockdown and the, the resulting cancellation of the rest of the program. It was hard to take that news. There was incredible effort put in by all of our leaders. They've done an exceptional job creating an amazing program for so many kids. And many of the teams saw a a sad end to a great program. But God saw something else. He saw an opportunity for our leaders to reshape the final day and see over 100 kids respond to the gospel for either the first or a recommitment. In the midst of disappointment, weigh your perspective. Try to see what God sees. Jason mentioned Charlie Borey before. It was a shock to hear of his passing during the week. I'd known Charlie for 20 years, and I'd been to many of his birthday parties. I regularly drove him home from our night services of an evening here. And with my own brother having Down syndrome as well, I had a real kindred connection with Charlie. I saw glimpses of Charlie from time to time standing up the back of our auditorium at Mackenzie singing these worship songs in his own way. I saw him bow his head and and pray. And it was a a real shock and and real sadness to say farewell to Charlie. But as I reflected on his, uh, his incredible life, God challenged me to weigh my perspective. See, some of us may have seen just a, a man with a disability who loved his Broncos. But God saw one of his faithful children who taught generations of young adults about inclusion and acceptance. God really challenged me about weighing my perspective. And I want to challenge you the same thing. Weigh your perspective. Try to see things through God's eyes. See things how God sees them. It's a powerful practice to develop. So often when we, uh, when we focus, when we go through these challenges in life, when it looks like everything is hopeless around us, we often focus on the problem, uh, the challenge, the negatives that are right in front of us. But what might God say if he... If he What might God say to you if you were to lift your eyes from the weeds and up to the Creator? What if you took your eyes off yourself and asked God to give you His perspective? What might He do to change your view? How might He change the you say statements to listen to what I say truths? Well, what are the lies that, that Jesus wants to transform and change? and instead replace with his truth and with his hope. See, in this moment, God was building faith in Jeremiah. He was planting hope for the future. And purchasing this worthless field was actually a prophetic act for Jeremiah and the people of Judah. 
See, Jeremiah bought this field as a symbol that one day God's people would return to this land, who would buy and sell fields once more. In the middle of judgment, God was promising redemption. Even as his anger boiled against his people, God was showing his mercy. As they turned his backs on them, God would be faithful to bring them back to their promised land. He would be faithful to his everlasting covenant, the everlasting covenant agreement that he had made to be their God. And so for Jeremiah, purchasing this field was a prophetic action. And with hindsight, we see that God was faithful to his promise. See, within two generations, God's promises were true. God's people would return to Jerusalem. He would bring them back from captivity and back into the promised land. And Nehemiah would rebuild the walls around the city. Ezra would remind them once again of God's laws. And and once more, fields would be sold and bought. Crops would grow and the people's fortunes would be restored. The Jews would be God's people and they and he would be their God. Yet Old Testament prophecy almost always has a longer term focus as well. God's judgment and redemption came to the Jewish people within two generations. But what we actually see is that this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus a few hundred years later. In Jesus' death on the cross, God's righteous judgment on the entirety of humanity was exercised. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all humankind for all time. It was that moment that God turned his back because of what we had done. And Jesus paid the price. But then in Christ's resurrection, God's redemptive triumph for his people was also secured. God resurrected his son Jesus. And Jesus had won uh, won victory over, over the grave and over death. And even beyond that, there is an eternal, an eternal fulfillment of this prophecy as well. One day, all of God's people, those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will enjoy the fulfillment of God's intimacy and His goodness. They will be His people and He will be their God for eternity. See, our God is faithful to His promises. This story in Jeremiah reminds us that we can overcome our hopelessness by trusting in God's faithfulness. And Jeremiah's experience gives us insight on how to respond to these difficult moments. Firstly, obey God's commands, pray through your doubts, and weigh your perspective. I don't know where this message finds you today. We might not be uh, physically uh, surrounded, besieged like Jeremiah was, but maybe it does feel a little bit like you're under attack. Perhaps you are experiencing some sense of hopelessness or or helplessness. Maybe you're struggling through difficulty or uncertainty or the, the prospect of loss. Or maybe you're working through disappointment in your career or your relationships, in your family or, or, or in your friendships. Maybe you're just uncertain where God is right now 
in your life. Can I encourage you today, wherever you are at, whatever you're walking through, to trust in God's faithfulness, to obey God's commands, to pray through your doubts and to weigh your perspective. And maybe your next step today is just to take one of those simple actions and do something practical. Maybe today God is challenging you to obey His commands. Perhaps God is calling you to do something that is beyond yourself today, to live out His commands, to put others before yourself, to love others the way that you would want to be loved. It could be as simple as a phone call or a quick visit or just jumping, uh, sticking your nose over the fence and saying good day to your neighbour. Or maybe God is calling you to pray through your doubts. Now, that's something that we can do on our own. I'd encourage you to reflect on the prayer that Jeremiah prayed. But it's also something that we would love to do with you. Right now, I want to encourage you. There are heaps of people standing ready to pray with you this morning. I encourage you just to push that, uh, that request prayer button. And one of our team would love to pray with you. would love to chat with you. would love to work through with you as you pray through your doubts. Or maybe finally this morning, God is asking you to weigh your perspective. Maybe right now you need to ask God for His eyes on your situation. Maybe take some time out of the rest of the day just to clear your mind, to be still and to know that He is God. To read through His Word and recall some of His promises. I want to encourage you to spend some time to weigh your perspective, to lift your eyes above, from the, above the weeds and instead fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, when we trust in God's faithfulness, He helps us to overcome our hopelessness. As we conclude today, we're going to sing this song that, that, that talks of His promises that reminds us of His faithfulness. And as we do that, I want to encourage you to, uh, to reach out, to, to click that prayer button and join in praying with one of our team. And reflect on what, might God be, what God might be challenging you to do today, to obey His commands, to pray through your doubts, to weigh your perspective. Let's sing together.
faithful his promise still stands you know he was faithful to Jeremiah you know all of those years ago he he spoke to Jeremiah and he told him what to do and because he obeyed you know we saw you know God's faithfulness in the generations to come and in the generations after that we saw the faithfulness of God in bringing a saviour who would come to save all people. That was Jesus. This Jesus that we've been singing about today, He actually came and He walked on earth. The Son of God, He he walked on earth and He fulfilled every promise that God made right throughout the old covenant. There there was not one promise that, 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 that Jesus didn't fulfill. It's an absolute miracle in that all of the promises that God made were fulfilled in this one man. It proves that Jesus truly was the Son of God. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a a man of, of great influence and he has influenced the world, but he was the Son of God who came to save all people from their sins, to redeem us from our sin and to give us an opportunity to to be in relationship with God for all of eternity. Hey, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you've joined us online and you haven't yet made a decision to put your faith in Jesus, today I want to give you that chance. You can push the button that's on that screen right now. Just says, raise a hand. I'm just raising my hand to say, I'm in. I'm putting my faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I'm just going to ask you, wherever you are in the world right now, just to simply pray that prayer. And there is a God in heaven who is still faithful. He hears every prayer and He will hear your prayer today. Your prayer is not insignificant to Him because you are not insignificant to Him. When Jesus died on that cross, He died for you. He died to forgive your sins. So right now, wherever you are, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, ask Him to forgive your sin on that cross and give you eternal life. Join in His resurrection from the dead, His victory over sin and death that Tim talked about before. Can I just encourage you right now, just push that button saying, I'm raising my hand, I'm in, I'm praying that prayer and just pray this prayer with me right now, just wherever you are. Father God, I thank You that You've always loved me. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against You. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. And I ask today that my sins would be nailed to that cross. I choose to make you Lord and Saviour of my life, Jesus. I choose to live in your love forevermore.
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time today or the first time in a long time, can I just encourage you once again, just push that button, just uh, letting us know today because we want to pray for you, for all of you in the chat right now. Why don't you just push some love hearts and pray for those that are making that decision today. And I just want to encourage all of you right now, all of you who have been following Jesus for some time and maybe getting frustrated with all of the changes that keep happening and just getting a little disappointed with all that's happened this week. Hey, Tim just gave us a great message in season today, you know, to actually obey God's commands, to pray through our doubts and to weigh our perspective. I think some of us need to do that today. Today's just a good day to weigh your perspective. Now, in light of all that is happening around the world, read God's eternal plan. Read how good He is. You know, just see that that He has everything in control. This too will pass. Nothing can snatch you out of God's hands. You know, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. He's working all things together for good to those who love Him and accord according to His purposes. Weigh your perspective. Hey, I just want to pray for us as one big church family today, wherever we are in all of our campuses. I want to pray for our whole church family right now. I don't know what it is exactly that you're walking through, but I want to encourage you today to pray through your doubts, to obey God's Word and to weigh your perspective. Our God is good. He is in control. He will never let you down. He's faithful to His promises. Come on, let's, let's pray together as a church family today. God, I thank You. I thank You that, Jesus, You did rise from the dead on the third day and You are seated on Your throne. All power and authority is Yours, Lord Jesus. You will never let us down. You will never let us go. You'll, you'll never, we will never be out of your reach. God, you are working all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Even in the midst of change and disappointment right now, God, you're working things together for good. All of the families being part of KTO, you know, in all of our church family right now, in the midst of, of grief and pain, you're working all things together for good. God, you are faithful to your promises. Your, your love endures forever. You are always good. God, would you help every single one of us today, this day, this week to weigh our perspective, to remind ourselves of your faithfulness, to not be overcome by hopelessness, but God, to cast our eyes upon you, to cast our anxiety, our cares upon you because you care for us. God, may we know your peace today. May we know your joy today. May right now you fill us with faith. God, as we, as we weigh our perspective and reflect on all the good things that you have done and that you are doing and the promises that you will fulfill in the future, God, would you, you help us to look to heaven with great faith and hope and love. I pray in Jesus' name. Hey, I wonder whether we just need to sing that chorus again, Marky. Come on, can we just sing it again? His promises are true. He'll 
never let us be. Let us declare the faithfulness of God. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never see you move. I see you move. You move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. I've seen you move, Lord. You move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. Amen and amen. Come on, what is type and amen? in the chat. Hey, great to have you joining us uh, from all of our campuses online today, wherever you're from. It's so uh, great to be able to gather together in this way and declare our faith in God, our faith in His promises today. I'm hoping that next Sunday, all of our normal services in all of our campuses will be back on. At this stage, we'll have to wear masks. Make sure you bring your mask with you. Uh, we will have to register for services again so we can get everybody uh, in the room. But all of those details will be on the website. We'll keep letting you know how it's all going uh, to happen. Hope to see you online and in person next Sunday. Hope you have a great week. Enjoy presence of God wherever you are today. God bless the church family. See you soon. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us to help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking Get Connected.